Hello, everyone. How are you doing? Welcome to another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. I am here with a out-of-this-world guest, pun intended here. And so um, this is a, a, a really exciting conversation I'm, I'm, I'm jacked to have here and, and share with everybody as uh, recently met this, this, this guest just through um, actually doing some work with, with some students we've got going on. And um, I'm really excited to see where this conversation goes. And so, uh, Stephanie, as we kick things off, I'm sure most of the audience is not aware of you and what you do and all the awesome things as I'm slowly learning all that awesome stuff as well. So who are you? What do you do? And what in the world do you have got going on? All right. Well, thanks for having me. My name is Stephanie Yeldell. I am the education integration lead for the Space Technology Mission Directorate at NASA headquarters, uh, which is a lot of words. That means I talk to our mission experts and I help them translate what they're doing for academic audiences. So that's everything from more traditional educators, so creating lesson uh, standards aligned lesson materials for schools. It is providing resources for museums and science centers. It's helping um, helping coordinate internships across the different NASA centers. It's creating products and materials that interest students and can support educators. It's it, to even helping support uh, those high level technical student challenges that have you know, usually college kids, but sometimes high school kids and sometimes middle school students creating hardware and solving real NASA challenges. So that whole spectrum of activities I help uh, coordinate for my mission directorate. I love it. So I know one of the questions that we were talking about or came as, as, as I was exploring this and we were talking just about bringing your expert voice into the classroom, but something that I think is, is fascinating for the sake of, of, of the show here is you know, as we think about organizations like like NASA, and here I am in the state of Iowa. Um, I grew up in Indiana. Never in my mind that I think something like NASA was something on the job board, right? Like we did, it just doesn't. It's something that other people do somewhere else outside of the Midwest. Um, and I'm coming to learn that obviously that's not the case. And so I'm curious before we dive into to some other things here. How did you find navigate your path to NASA? Because I think one of the big things that, that a lot of people um, in education are trying to figure out is how do we help plant seeds for students to see themselves in lots of different job careers and something like that with, with NASA. Um, I shared with you with another guest how we, we learned, you know, there's 44 astronauts and that number may be different now at the time of this recording, but there's over 100,000 employees and helping kids see like, if you're interested in this type of work or you're interested in something else, there are organizations like NASA and many others that you could be a perfect fit for. And so what, what's your journey, how you landed into this, this education sector of, of, of working with all these awesome people and organizations? Sure, and I, I shared with you and I'll share here up front that I am not an educator. I'm not a trained educator. I see my job as to connect my subject matter experts with educators and with their needs. So I want to hear what the education 
and academic community needs from NASA and then help fill that need and keep that conversation going. And I, I think part of that is exactly the challenge you stumble or you expressed is that a lot of students we know don't necessarily think like, well, I'll end up at NASA. You know, there's this perception that NASA is for them, that it's for those students, it's for, you know, the other kids, I, you know, it's not necessarily for me. And I definitely felt that way. Um, I never thought about NASA. I never thought it could be a career path for me. I was never, um, actually was really fine with STEM fields. I really did excel within biology and, and scientists, but I just I just never had it as part of my identity. I had a professor or a, a high school teacher really just like beg me to continue with science and to see that connection between science and art that I could make for myself. And I just didn't, even as I excelled academically within it, like I just never felt it for me. And I think a lot of people do that. They don't, they don't have the way to identify enough with the STEM topics that go into space or go into aerospace or go into earth science or aviation and all the different topics that are encompassed within NASA in a way that makes them feel like they're meaningfully a part of it. And and that, you know, that is something that NASA has to be better about. That's something that's on on us to fix too. And and, and that is also a part of my job, which is to arm educators, but also arm our folks, our comms experts, our public outreach experts, our mission experts, our subject matter experts, to give them the language to connect with students who, you know, don't necessarily think they can do it or identify with those topics. And a lot of that is breaking down the narrative that if you can't be an astronaut, you can't work at NASA. Um, I, I've met like a couple astronauts, but I don't work regularly with astronauts. I work regularly with um, engineers and materials experts and radiation experts and, you know, uh, additive manufacturing experts or, or even just technologists that are interested within expanding upon those topics. I also work with lawyers. We work with business managers. I work with project managers. I work with international affairs folks. I work with comms people. You know, there, there are so many different paths to being a part of NASA. Um, and I think the, the big step for us as NASA is to give educators and to give the community the tools to begin to show students that like, hey, this can be for you. You just have to explore it and we're here to help you, but then to also show them that you don't have to want to go to space to contribute to space and to aerospace. Um, I fell into NASA, uh, even as I was interviewing for it, I didn't think they were gonna select me. I truly interviewed because I thought my granddad would think it was cool. And then when they select me, I felt like a fraud for the first like two years. And I think a lot of people feel that way. And so it's really, you know, even internally, we have to break that down for ourselves. So. You know, that's definitely something we will want educators to help us with, but it's also our responsibility too to show people that space is for everyone and we need everyone, even if you're interested in STEM and even if you're not. Yeah, I like that. And the, the two words that stood out to me as you were just sharing there was identity and language. And I, I think about like that's just part of like life's journey, right? This whole thing of identity, who are who we who are we, who we want to be, you know, and as you even like you just said, I think it was really powerful even when you started at NASA, that idea, right? Of you feel like a fraud or, you know, like and, and you had to re recalibrate your own identity, like, yes, this I, I do belong here. And yes, I, I am, you know, I am part of the NASA family. Um, you know, which is always 
I think something we grapple with regardless of our age and whether that's yeah. trying to fit into a sports team or a music team or later with our first jobs or whatever it might be. I think that's that's something that, you know, like processing through that. And as you talk about language and that identity too, I mean, I know one of the things you said that's something that NASA has to um, work to improve upon is those efforts are being made. And I, and I think that's one of the beautiful things that, that I continue to learn myself is like that story is changing or I shouldn't say changing, but expanding that it's more than just astronauts. And, um, you know, and so one of the things I know that you're aware of um, and I'm aware of, and we just got it in the hands of, of kids as well as, as, as the graphic novel of uh, First Woman. And so could you talk a little bit about that? Cause I think that, that actual, that project, that work fits perfectly with what kind of, you, your story in the sense of this idea of identity and language and helping people see um, see themselves in ways that maybe we haven't always had the opportunity or we didn't do a, a good enough job to, to get that message out. Yeah, so First Woman is uh, NASA's first interactive graphic novel. We had a team within the Space Technology Mission Directorate work across the agency to create that graphic novel and we are just incredibly proud of it. And it is, as you said, that's exactly one of the reasons we created the graphic novel, right, was to help reach different audiences and new audiences and existing audiences, but maybe in a new way. So uh, First Woman, it's a fictional story about Callie Rodriguez, which is in our graphic novel, The First Woman to Explore the Moon. Um, but it is really based on NASA's ongoing Artemis missions and that work that we are truly undertaking to return humans to the surface of the moon, including the first woman and the first person of color. So it's a beautiful story that we have centered on the Artemis missions, on those technologies needed, and also on the diverse astronaut corps and the diverse subject matter experts and teams that we'll need to be successful in those missions. And they're a great way to also bring people into the real story of how, we're, how we are doing that work and how we will see the first woman and the first person of color on the lunar surface. Um, we're just so proud of it. Yeah. and and. What's been some like re response to that? I mean, I know we just got it uh, out to, in our case, uh, the kids, and we were exploring the different QR codes and we're reading through it. And um, obviously, the the graphic novel type, you know, um, approach to telling that story navigates and gravitates to a lot of kids. So that's a very popular medium to be um, for reading, and obviously visually to to really set the scene with some of that. But as you guys have been able to share that story out. How has it been received? Like what have been some exciting things that have, that, that have come with that? Oh, it's been so great. So we did a lot of the development and creation of the graphic novel within the confines of quarantine and within the within 2020 and then early 2021. So we debuted the graphic novel in September of 2021. And so while we obviously worked with focus groups and some external voices and other internal voices, but outside of our office to give feedback to the graphic novel, you know, it was like we released it into the world around the same time that we were starting to go back into the world. And so we've taken it to a couple of, um, We've taken it to Comic-Con in New York and now San Diego this past year. We had it at AwesomeCon in DC. We had it at the American Library Association. So we've begun over the past, truly year, really, giving it to people in person and finally getting that interaction after so much work. And it has been so incredibly rewarding to see people 
they're psyched. I mean, when you have this on a table, like people gravitate towards it. They, you know, the art is so beautiful. And as an art kid, that really mattered to me. I think this would have spoken to me because I wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't have, I would not have identified as an astronaut or a technologist, but I would have seen the art in it and been drawn to it. And I wonder what that would have done for me in my own journey of exploration had I had it. So it's been wonderful to see, um, educators and librarians really drawn to it and see it as a really unique and visual tool to spark interest within a lot of people. Um, but also within those uh, more like graphic novel inclined audiences like at Comic-Con or at AwesomeCon, we've had fantastic feedback to it, which has been wonderful. We had a, a an educator who focuses on using graphic novels as a way to teach literacy uh, come up to our booth at AwesomeCon and, and take one. And we told him, we were like, you know, we're open to feedback. We want to make this a great tool. Like, by all means, take as many as you'd like. We'd love to hear what you think. And we just got glowing feedback from him about how the medium is really engaging and how the visuals can enhance the story in a way that is it brings people in in a very inclusive environment that means so much to us. So we, I mean, like once a week we get an, e I feel like I'm going on too long, but once a week we get an email from somebody with a picture of their kid holding it and you're just so thrilled because you're like, finally, this is what we hoped for. And it's great to see those conversations happening. And it's great to have people like you reach out to us and think about how they, how educators can use the graphic novel to maybe like trick kids into learning a bit more about technology and NASA. So we've had great feedback. We yeah, also received Oh, sorry. Go no, no, we received, go. So the graphic novel, we did create it to stand on its own. Accessibility was really important to us. So we wanted to be sure that if you were a person handed a printed copy, that that is what you needed. You could have an enriching experience. But if you happen to have a smartphone, if you happen to have access to internet, you could expand upon that experience with some additional resources. Um, we have an app accompanying the graphic novel. And we received a Webby Award for that app based on the interactive experience. So in that app, you can access augmented reality and virtual reality environments where you can engage with the lunar surface. You can engage with a lunar base camp or the Orion spacecraft. So we put a ton of work into it and we're really, really thrilled that it's been well received. Yeah, and that's what I love about it. That whole concept, right, of like breaking down like barriers and eliminating silos, whether we're talking about, um, you know, moving away from stereotypical middle-aged white male, um, you know, and showing that these opportunities are for all, regardless of who you are, which is so wonderful, not just in the, the graphic novel, but for the like real life, actual mm -hmm. Artemis mission where, where that work's gonna happen, um, to just that other area where, where we're marinating these things where it's not just an education thing. It's not just a entertainment thing. Like it's, it's a cross pollination of, of just what I feel is like humanity. We love stories and here's this, this opportunity that Yes, it can be used in education setting, and it can also stand alone on its own at a Comic Con and, and and draw that attention. And I think that's really like this this sweet spot of of when we think about learning and and changing narratives of not just for the sake of education, but for society is is combining these worlds of of things that like compel people to want to keep learning more and 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 just seeing things differently. And I think that's the beauty of what I love so much about it. Um, and I know even just using it with kids now is if you're interested in reading it, 
you could, you know, scan that QR code and all of a sudden mm -hmm. there's a short video that shows like these things are actually also happening. It's not just made up fantasy. Like the things are actually in development and that creates that new spark of inquiry. Yeah. And I, you know, I think humanizing and personalizing the people behind NASA is also something that we know is important to do and that it, it reaches new audiences. So, um, we also know that NASA NASA has a ton of resources. It's a large uh, organization with a lot of missions and a lot of experts. And so if you can help put a face to a project or a face to an activity, we know that that can really um, energize audiences and, and make it feel real and make them feel a stronger connection to it. So throughout the graphic novel, as you mentioned, we've included QR codes that can link you to a NASA resource, usually a video where you can learn a bit more about the technology being explored. Um, so even on the first page, you can use a QR code and learn more about growing plants in space. It will take you to a video where we talk about actual experts and how we approach growing plants in space and how it's important for resources and nutrition, but also well-being off planet. Um, and you'll see an actual person talking about that challenge and how they've approached it. And we know that that can be really beneficial and in helping people see seen and, and feel connected to, to NASA and to that topic. Um, and I think another thing that was really important when we're thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, you know, I, I think a graphic novel lends itself really well to that, to those goals, and that how we represented the characters was so important, and it, it is such an important piece of the story. So Callie is Afro-Latina. When we were creating that character, we spent a lot of time about exploring, well, what will she look like? Um, what does Callie's hair look like? What does Callie's mom look like? What does Callie's skin tone look like? How how can we make her feel as real as possible? And like, what will that visual representation mean to readers? How can we how can we create an authentic moment of connection through how we depict her? Um, and to go beyond that too, you know, we've the graphic novel is available in English. It is also available in Spanish and both printed copies and online. We're actively working to expand our resources related to the first to the graphic novel to also be in Spanish. Uh, and there's also a SoundCloud version of the graphic novel for those who are maybe, maybe visually impaired and can engage in the graphic novel via the audio version, which has really fun voice actors, but also has really in-depth and thoughtful descriptions of the scenes so that they can have that same experience. Yeah, and I, I haven't had a chance to listen to that. I saw that the other day, and I'm like, oh, I need to pull that up. And It's and, really and, fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as you're talking through this uh, example of First Woman, and you talked earlier about your job of connecting, I mean, this is, this is like another power word that's emerging in this conversation, this idea of connections. And, and while we know that's important, you know, as, as you think about you and your job and hopefully the same kind of stuff is happening here with, with with the graphic novel and there's tons of other examples of stuff that you know you guys are working on as an organization to build those connections like what are, when when you are maybe I'll, I'll i'll funnel this so it's not too grandiose so in your job as you're looking to build those connections between ideas and experts and things that are happening and all the things 
what is your thought process? What, what, what are you listening for? What are you thinking through? And the reason I'm asking that is I think so many times we talk a lot about making connections. We talk a lot in education about building relationships. And I think it's one of those things we all know is important. No one's going to argue that. Um, but it gets talked about so much that I think it just becomes like nuance, like actually like how do we go about truly doing that? So I'm curious, like in your job, as you're hearing things and, and doing that, what's your thought process of how to make those connections? You know, because I think to be a good listener, um, to be thoughtful of the things, and then, I mean, obviously to have a network is important too. Um, but what are those skills? Because I think they, those oftentimes get overlooked. I know kind of maybe talking about yourself for that is kind of funky, but um, it's what you do. And I think it's, it's a key thing that we need to be thinking about as lifelong learners, as professionals, but then also thinking about how do we help nurture those skills in the classroom as well? Sure. Um, so I think the first thing I have to think of, I, when I approach it is I think it's very audience specific. I think, you know, connection to be real has to be authentic. And therefore, to make an authentic connection, it's not a one approach fits all. You're going to have to really adjust your approach based on the person or community you're trying to connect with. Um, and I think when I'm thinking about how do how do I make space tech, what I, what I am focused on important to other people, like I have to figure out where they are and what is important to them and what level of readiness are they to talk to me about it, you know, and so I think it really depends on who you're talking to. So um, we have different projects across NASA to engage students kind of where they are. You know, I, I think personally we're most ready to meet students who are ready to meet us. That's the easy part, you know, inviting people who have already identified with STEM and with space to come work on a technical challenge or to intern, like they get that, that's pretty easy. Um, but we do a lot of work to go and speak with um, underrepresented or underserved communities, which within the academic space for us will look like, you know, going to a minority serving institution, showing up at a historically black college and university and and meeting with them and, and hearing what it is that they need from us. I think if you're really going to meet someone like you have to hear what they need from you. You can't just show go up and say, like, this is our product. Do you like it? Bye. You have to really hear what it is that they need and what they have to offer and respect that we all have something to contribute within this space. Um, other people, you know, I we all contribute something different and all of it is valuable and all of it is needed. Um, and so I really think that's the biggest thing is to to know that it's going to take multiple approaches and multiple tries, uh, depending on who your audience is. But if you really want to connect with them, you have to do it in a way that is meaningful and true, because if it's not meaningful or true, if it's just kind of like easy and checking a box, like people know when you're not actually interested in them. Um, yeah. I like that. And I appreciate you uh, sharing that. And you know, even as you're as you're talking through that that idea of knowing your audience and, and then knowing how to speak the language to those people. I mean, I'm thinking about even personally right now, where or professionally, where it's like, okay, transitioning in my brain when I go in and maybe I get to, I get to teach with teach sixth graders or go in and go work with second graders, and then 
have to go drive across town and I have to go do a presentation to a board, right? So like, and like the whole, like, okay, I gotta get my mind out of like, okay, I'm not talking to, to 10 year olds anymore. Now I'm talking to business people who are part of this board and wanna hear this, like that, knowing your audience is, is, is it is so vital, um, which is, I think a really key thing as we work through that. And, you know, and the other part, like to, to, build, to build upon that too, is probably, I mean, I shouldn't assume anything because I don't really know your day-to-day -day activities, but like one of the things that I see that is one of the hardest things, we try to create these authentic learning experiences in classrooms. And I think it transcends into industry and, and workforce here is learning how to properly identify problems. And where my, my, my mind has been lately is why is that as hard as it seems to be like truly being able to identify like this is a problem worth solving and so i'm curious like in in, in your work um whether that's you trying to make those decisions internally as you're working through and hearing people whether it's working with your team i'm sure you guys get a ton of requests as well as you're probably also trying to identify and navigate where energy and salary and manpower and stuff goes how do you how, how does your team work through identifying problems that are worth solving because i'm sure the laundry list is quite massive for <laughs> uh nasa and your team because it can be a million long with lots of requests and everything else in between what's that process because i think that that's the piece i feel like in, in a classroom setting anyways we say i call it the muckety muck and it, it just takes so long yeah you know, to learn how to think that way and how how is this the actual problem I should be solving? And is it even a problem to begin with? I don't know if this is a, a, a round or a sneaky answer or not, or maybe I'm dodging. I, I mean, I have a great team. I, you know, I, I think, um, I think the best way to approach solving many incoming problems and how to best use your time is to acknowledge that like, I don't have all the answers. I never will. I, you know, maybe it's nice because I, I came to NASA not being an expert in anything other than talking, I guess, um, that it's easy for me to say like, hey, I really don't know, I need help. Um, you know, for us, if I really have to try and evaluate the incoming requests that come in for us, having good resources like First Woman that can be so user unique, that has that can have a huge reach, but can also be a really personal moment that's really helpful to have good tools, right? And to have good mechanisms in place to meet people. Um, and then to just be honest with folks about, I, I think most people, if you're just honest with your intent on trying to help them, that they see that. And so I, for us, it's it's having good tools. It's, it's considering um, not letting perfect be the enemy of the good. You know, if I don't have the perfect answers for someone, but I do have a answer for someone, then I can at least get them rolling. If someone asks me a question like, hey, I'm really interested in the science resource. I, I'm not a science, I, I'm in space tech. I'm not in the science mission directorate. I don't know all of their resources, but I can at least get them started, right? I, you know, I don't have to have the perfect answer to help somebody out. Um, and probably a lot like educators, I I think something that can be easy, you know, that can make that work easier easier for us is that we are here, you know, we we are civil servants. We work, we are paid by taxpayers, we work for taxpayers, and you know, we want them to see the benefit in us. We want to help them. And so even when it gets overwhelming, you just have to remember at the end of the day that someone's asked you for help because they're interested and and you can help them, even if it's not perfect. You can still help them.
Maybe that's that. a dodge, but I have a great team yeah. too. You know, I have a lot of support and it, they make life just so much easier. Yeah, no, I don't think you dodge. I think you hit hit the nail on the head. The first one there, I think, is sometimes we have to check our ego at the door, right? And 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 be be brave enough to say, I don't know, I don't have the answer, but hey, let's let's go explore this together and see what we can find. And I think the second part of that is 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 paramount. You you mentioned twice that you have a great team, and so um, I'm I'm curious what makes that team so great. I just interviewed Susie Weiss from uh, the D school at Stanford. She has a book out called uh, Design for Belonging. And it really resonated with this whole idea of like when you feel that you belong um, mm. and that can be in a lot of different avenues. Um, man, it just opens up the doors of possibilities in so many ways when versus not feeling like you belong to be part of something. So you've mentioned team twice. What is it? Um, because you can't do any of this work alone. You, you burn out rather quickly. Um, so what is it that makes that team so great? I think it's one of the things that makes that makes NASA so great. Um, I, I, you know, when I first started there, I would feel kind of embarrassed. That I didn't know the answers to basic things or I didn't I didn't know what mission acronyms meant. I didn't know kind of, you know, anything about NASA. And so I have found at NASA that Truly, people are very passionate about what they do. And if you ask them a question, they're just thrilled to have an opportunity to talk to you about something that they genuinely love. So I think NASA does a good job at creating an environment where not knowing and asking questions and inquiry and continuing and ongoing education is something that is really valued um, and is really important, right? So begin th that culture kind of exists at the agency at large the ability to inquire and ask and continue learning um so it's kind of at the, in the dna of the agency and then i think the other thing for us that has made it so beneficial and it's something that we've tried to reflect within the characters of first woman is that we know we each play a role and we each have strengths and it's created an environment where like we're all just hype people for other for we want everyone to succeed we want to work together it's just a really supportive environment where all of our successes are shared and we're all there to support one another if somebody feels lost or needs help or or, or falls apart um it's a really safe place for us to work and i think you know, I mean, I guess it's true. Our job is to bring people into our mission directorate, right? So it's it does make sense that we are all very focused on keeping each other engaged in the mission directorate as well and supporting one another. Um, but I should also give a shout out to my boss, Derek Wang, who is truly the creative mind behind First Woman. I'm sure he'll be annoyed when, with me if he ever hears this, but he's just a spectacular boss who does everything he can to set us up and if you want to know anything about Derek Wang as a person just pick up first woman like his character is all over that over this project that's awesome. all of the values that are instilled in there he instills in our team and that's great I mean to live by the words and the message that you guys are, are sharing with with the world is, is phenomenal to hear and I think that idea right of, of feeling safe and, and that sense of when people are passionate about the work and it's safe to to have those conversations and ask and learn from one another, I mean, the possibilities are, are, are truly pretty, pretty endless. And I think that's, you know, coming back with my hat of the K-12 education space, that's that's truly the, the fundamental foundation that we need in our learning spaces in order for kids to be able to think deeply is to have that safe kind, that same safe space where it's okay 
to go, I'm going to try here. I'm, I'm going to go explore this concept. And it may or may not work, but that's just part of the learning journey versus seeing it as, oh my gosh, I failed. I'm going to be wrong. And you know, those, those other pressures. And so it's so great to hear that because I think that's where a lot of educators are trying to, to figure out how to do that. And, you know, a lot of that's just, uh, you know, being able to model that ourselves, that it's okay. And to show that to kids, like, I don't, have to know everything. I make mistakes too, and let, let, let's talk through that. And um, I think it's, it's, it's really paramount. So I appreciate you know, that. Within the context of NASA, it's so important for us to be able to acknowledge when we don't know something or when we have additional questions, you know, going back to like the idea of how do we integrate diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility within to all of our teams. I recently heard someone say that if you have two people, someone within NASA expressed to our team that if you have two people with the same background and the same point of view in the same room, you have one too many. And it is really important, you know, space is really hard. Um, we need, we, and that doesn't mean we don't need everyone thinking about it. We do need everyone thinking about it. And you have to create an environment where the risks, you have to create an environment that is safe for people to to ask a question or to say, hey, that's, this doesn't make sense to me. Maybe we should approach it this way. Or, hey, I think I have a solution. It's kind of quirky, but like, why don't we explore this technology path? Those can be pivotal, huge moments in a space where, like space, where the challenges are so hard and the stakes can be so high. It's so important for us to be able to feel safe and expressing ourselves within our professional meetings. You know, it's not just because it creates happy teams, it's because it, it could be life-saving, it could be pivotal to a mission. So it is something, you know, that is truly important to our work. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think, yeah, that really opens up the canvas, right? It's 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 more than being about us, you know? Yeah. Um, and, but we play a role in this much bigger picture. Um, and I think that's, our work is important individually, but we're also doing it because we're we're one piece to a much bigger puzzle of, of humanity and, in your case, it's space, and for anybody else, it's wherever your 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 passions and creativity take you on your own individual journey of of trying to figure out, you know, how do we do things a little bit better than than the day before. And so, I really appreciate you uh, and that 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 element in there. Um, as we come to a close here, to be respectful of your time, you know, is there is there anything that we didn't uh, cover here in a short conversation? that you want to make sure um, you get a chance to, to share or other thought nuggets that maybe have popped up that um, we didn't curate, um, you know, that as, as, as we, we we wrap up our chat here. You know, I thank you for that opportunity. I, I definitely would encourage everyone to check out First Woman. If you don't have a printed copy, that's totally fine. We have a, a microsite off of the NASA.gov site that has a plethora of resources and the first woman graphic novel as a high resolution PDF in English and in Spanish and the SoundCloud version. It's nasa.gov forward slash Cali first. Um, I'll give you the link so maybe you can in. Yeah, so nasa.gov forward slash Cali first. Uh, we're in the process of updating that site to um, link to a, existing additional educator resources, including some standards aligned lesson plans, um, but also some cool videos featuring our, our faces of technology and those people who are working on that technology, and then also ways that people can get involved in Artemis. You know, so we created First Woman to spark interest in Artemis and to show people that, you know, we are the Artemis generation. 
through Artemis, we are going to the moon and landing the first person and the first person of color, or the first woman and the first person of color on the lunar surface. And that is going to be just the magnitude of that moment. I don't even think we can fully appreciate. Yeah, right. um, and this this time at the moon, I mean, we're doing so much. We'll be there for um, long duration missions. We'll be there for extended periods of time, testing new technologies and working in a way that will eventually get us to land astronauts on Mars. I mean, there is an incredible amount of work going on and we truly do need anyone and everyone contributing to it, even if that's just hosting a launch party and watching you don't you know even if it's getting your community involved and sharing that excitement or talking to students about how you know maybe they can see themselves as contributing to this work whether it's an engineer or a scientist or a climate scientist or a lawyer there's spaces for everyone um so i would encourage you to check out that website and then um this may be a weird place to end it but if you have any feedback we'd love to hear it we're definitely interested and, in, you know, we want this to be a meaningful moment and product for people. And if you have any feedback about how we can improve upon that, we definitely would love to hear it. Maybe I'll give you my email that people can reach out to. If they have any additional thoughts. That'd be wonderful. Yeah. And then for those that have listened to the show, you know, everything will be linked in the show notes. These links to everything that Stephanie has shared. Uh, we'll make sure that you have access to all that to go and find. And I Highly encourage people to check this out. It's it's an awesome opportunity. It's a great gateway to gain some interest and, and excitement for the work that that's happening. And I think you you said it best. I mean, I think one of the hardest things for us as humans, I'm going to say right now, um, if you're not directly linked within the work effort, is to just realize that like the reality of the short-term future, most likely, hopefully is that we're gonna be living in a space economy, right? I, <laughs> we're, we're, I mean, the idea of, I mean, as we start to think about that, so we're, we're not just thinking about how to be good global citizens, but thinking about how to be, you know, one day space citizens, whatever that means. And I know that seems far reaching, but I always tell the kids well, when we launch these, this, this, these projects and learning things, like it's like all my sci-fi fantasy book movie worlds, like are actually like, becoming a thing um you know like and it's just so exciting i think about my my children my youngest is a sixth grader when she graduates like there we could potentially see infrastructure on the moon and you know that's just like the whole concept of that is like things are happening and it doesn't mean we panic but just the excitement understanding what a powerful opportunity we have to 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 join in and uh you know do some awesome work collectively as as we all move forward so i appreciate you taking time to speak with me today uh stephanie has been so great i love your insights and talking about first woman and uh i can't wait for people to hopefully check out first woman and uh get a hold of you and and provide you some more uh, awesome feedback yeah, and it can be if you have a picture of someone who loves the graphic novel, we'll also take that as well. If you have good, we'll take good feedback too. I definitely love seeing the positive stories. Um, yeah. But thank you for inviting me and thank you for the opportunity and go Artemis. Yes, awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Chaos.